Right, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett, and we're going to be continuing our teaching this morning on such a great salvation. And we'll be continuing our sub uh, series here on wholeness this morning. I'll get into that in just a moment in case you you just joined us. Uh, just so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org, as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And uh, we also want to say thank you to all those who have partnered with us with their tithes and their offerings. And in case you're wondering how to do so, you can simply go to our website at lighthousediscipleship.org. Go to our give page on the top right corner, and you can give from anywhere around the world. If you'd rather send us a check, you can simply make your checks payable to Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And on the bottom of the footer of every page on our website is our mailing address. If you're here in the U.S., just so you know, your tax donations and contributions are 100% tax deductible as we are a 501c3 church. So anyway, without further ado, i got a lot to cover this morning, uh, and uh, I'll do a little bit of a brief recap here in the, in the beginning, and then we'll give some new territory this morning as we're concluding this segment of this teaching on such a great salvation, which I'll explain in just a second. So, we've been talking, this is actually our 11th hour now, talking about such a great salvation, and I have actually many more to go. Uh, we have a lot to talk about regarding our salvation, okay? And so, we've been talking about, we talked about the first hour, uh, about the gift of salvation. We basically defined what salvation was. Uh, we are saved by grace through faith. Uh, it's not of works, it's, it's a gift of God. And so, we've been talking about that. We define what salvation is, uh, both the Hebrew and the Greek. And which means that it's 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 it's, uh, um, it's wholeness, it's healing, it's prosperity, it's deliverance, and many more other definitions. We talked greatly at length about the purpose of salvation. The purpose of salvation is not going to heaven and not going to hell. Though those are some of the great benefits of salvation. Okay, those are some of the the uh, hallmark benefits of our salvation. But at the same point in time, the purpose of salvation is a relationship with God. Even if there was no heaven and no, and there was no hell, and there is, Jesus still would have died on the cross for us. Okay, and so uh, the purpose of salvation is a relationship with God, and out of that relationship with God, we get to go to heaven and we get to avoid hell. Okay, then we talked at length. We had about two hours on talking about the necessities of salvation, why we need to be saved, and we're still really kind of continuing on that on that, on that rhythm of. Uh, describing this necessity of, of salvation as we're talking about the benefits of salvation. And there's many benefits. We could be here uh, for years just talking about all the benefits of salvation. And so this message is not exclusive in this, but we've been talking the last several weeks about uh, how the benefits of salvation is wholeness. I'm hoping to wrap this segment up this morning so I can give some new territories. And hopefully next week we'll get started talking about healing as one of our benefits of salvation. And then uh, we'll be talking about prosperity, and I know that's not necessarily a popular topic for modern some people, but what that means, if it's not popular, and if there's some problems, we need to deal with it. We need to address it, and so we're going to address it, okay? And how it has to do with the benefits of salvation. There's been abuse with this, and that's why some people are, are against it, and so we need to uh, bring some clarity to that. So we're talking about the benefits of our salvation, and we're going to continue on that wavelength this morning on talking about wholeness. And more specifically, this has also been a teaching on spirit, soul, and body, if you've been with us the last few weeks, okay? So let's go to our key verse uh, for this segment about wholeness uh, again this morning. But 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, 24, the King James Version, it says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God 
God, your whole spirit and soul and body be reserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who will also do it. Okay? So we've been talking about this verse at length over the last uh, few weeks. And we were talking about how we were a broken people. We were broken by sin. And that how God has reversed the brokenness because Jesus came to fix it. Jesus came to make us whole. Jesus came to make us whole, spirit, soul, and body. And we've been talking about great Mason over the last few weeks. That Jesus came to make our spirit whole. He came to make our soul whole, which is our mind, our will, and our emotions. He came to make our body whole. Okay, Jesus came to make us whole. A few weeks ago, though, we also talked about from Genesis 1, 26 to 27. And we talked about how then God said to let us, that's plural, make man in our image according to our likeness, so that God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created man, male and female he created them. Okay? We talked about a few weeks ago how we are created in the image of God. We are created in the likeness of God. God is a triune God. There's one God. But he has uh, tri triune persons to his uh, uh, to, to the Godhead. Sorry, I've lost my choice of words here. But he's a triune God. Okay, he's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, and three different persons. Okay, we are a triune being. Okay, we're not three different people. Okay, um, we have, our divine design is spirit, soul, and body. We've been talking about that at length in the last few weeks. We are spirit beings, okay? Some of you might not realize that, but we are spirit beings, okay? God said in Genesis 2-7, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being, okay? Became a living being. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 15-54, and so it is written, the first Adam became a living being, okay, what we just read in Genesis 2-7, but the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Adam, our flesh, naturally speaking, we became living beings when we were born, naturally speaking. But through Christ, who is the last Adam, we became a life-giving spirit. Okay, we are spirit beings. Am I making sense so far? Okay, um, we have we are we are spirit beings. That's who we are. When your spirit leaves your body, that means your body is dead. That makes sense. So we have we I'm sorry we are a spirit being. We have a soul, and we live in a body. Our body is not the real us. Because when you die, your spirit and your soul will leave your body. And your body will be no more as far as this natural body. The real us lives inside our bodies. Okay? Does that make sense? Our bodies play, however, our bodies play an important role in God's plan for our lives. Okay? We're going to get into this this morning. We'll talk about the significance of our bodies and how it relates to our salvation and how God is committed to these bodies. Turn with me if you have your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We're going to spend some time here uh, at the first part of this message this morning. And looking at several verses this morning. So Romans chapter 8, verse 5. We'll, we'll start. I, I forget the numbers, but 
I believe in Romans chapter 8, the word spirit is used over 21 times in this, uh, in this chapter. That's not anything significant right now, but it's just a little uh, FYI for you. But Romans 8, 5 says, But those who live according to the flesh set their minds, we're talking about a lot about minds lately, on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. So if you're living according to the flesh, you're going to put your mind on the things of the flesh. But if you're living according to the spirit, you're going to put your mind on the things of the spirit. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh, whatever is born of spirit is spirit. That kind of goes with this as well. But we're not, we're not, we're also talking about our minds, our soul. Our soul is our mind, will, and emotions. He goes on to say, verse 6, For to be carnally or naturally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Your spirit, and we've been saying this over and over again, your spirit, you, the spirit part of you is born again. It is sealed. But then you also have a soul and you also have a body. Okay? And notice that your soul, your mind, can be carnally minded, which leads to death. But your soul can also be spiritually minded, which releases the life of Christ that is already could <coughs> be on the inside of us. As believers, it's important to set our minds and our wills on the things of God. That's our soul. It's important that we keep our minds and our will, our emotions, on God. Okay? That's where we're going this morning. We're talking a lot about the body, but we're going to be talking about the mind, the soul as well. In the Trinity Holy. He goes on to say in verse 7, For the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. Your natural mind can, is that enmity of God, and it cannot be subject to the law of God. Your natural mind cannot. It's natural. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of spirit is spirit. It's not in there. I can't think like a dog. I can't think like a cat. I can't think like a giraffe. I'm, it's not in my DNA. And my dog can't think like a human. It just can't. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of spirit is spirit. It's not in there. Okay? It goes on to say in verse 8, So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you are in the flesh, you can't please God. It's not a real, it's not a, this is a very simple statement. And yet, if we don't understand spirit, soul, and body, we really don't understand what he's saying. Okay? Being in the flesh not only includes my body, but being in the flesh also includes my carnal or natural mind, my unrenewed mind. Okay? That we spent some time talking about in Romans chapter 12. Your flesh is not just your body, but it's also our unrenewed mind. The thinking we learn from the world. I, I, I could spend a lot of time on this, and, and these are not the only definitions of an unrenewed mind. But there's thinking that we, we, get, we learn from the world that is not God, that is not supernatural, it's not spiritual, it's carnal, it's, not, it's unrenewed. It, when we got saved, we carried that thinking that we learned from the world into our salvation, into our new born-again experience. And if we choose to keep thinking like we used to think before we were saved, that's the flesh, our carnal mind. Okay? 
Your, your spirit is born again, but your mind is in the process of being saved. And we have to do that on a daily basis, okay? There will be a day when we don't have to do this no more, but that day has not come yet. Okay? And our carnal thinking is death. If we think naturally, if that's all we think is naturally, then that's death. Now, there's some things I do want you to think naturally. When you're driving the car, I want you to think naturally. When you're cooking my meal, I want you to think naturally. Okay? When you're brushing your teeth, things of that nature. I mean, I could go on and on with this, but there's some things that we need to think naturally because we live in this world. But on a, on, a, on a deeper level, on a regular basis, on a dominant level, I want to speak, I want to think spiritual, not carnal. As far as the purpose of my life, as far as the, the direction of my life, as far as the decisions of my life, as far as really the core of my being. That needs to be predominant in my life. I'm not saying we don't think naturally at all, that we're no earthly good. Because if you don't think naturally when you're driving a car, you will very soon be absent from the body and present with the Lord. Okay? And, and so, and, and, and I, want, I want to be with the Lord, but I want to be, be at the right time that I need to go. Hopefully I'm making sense. Okay? Now, uh, under me, my, this is not an exhaustive list, but some of the, to, uh, to think naturally is death. To think carnally is death. And these are some of the symptoms. These are not all of them. But depression is a form of death. It's a, it's, it, inside, you're wounded, you're depressed, you're hurt, and you are dying inside. Okay? Discouragement can be a form of death, too. I understand things, things come and we get discouraged, but we can't stay there. Okay? We've got to get our minds on God. We gotta get our minds on him. I've had some discouraging things lately. And I, it's a fight of faith to keep my mind stayed upon him. Okay? Lust, lack, bad attitudes. These are not totally exhaustive lists. I can go on and on. But there's many things that are a form of death that if we keep our minds on things that we're lusting about or what we need or bad attitudes, when we have needs, what did Jesus say we need to do? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things that you need will be added to you. We need to keep our we need to be kingdom-minded. Okay? He's our source, not us. I'm not saying we don't need to work, I'm not saying we don't need to do things. And when you're doing your job and whatever, you need to be thinking naturally, but you know, uh, God can also help me do my job and do the things I need to do. Okay? Let's go back to Romans real quick. Romans 8 9. But you are not in the flesh. But in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. If, if the Spirit of Christ is not in you, you're not born again. That's what he says. And he, not anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. But if you are born again, and I believe most of the people watching this, because if, if you're not, most of you would have turned me off already, but... You are, if you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 5.16. We know no man after flesh. Not even Jesus who once walked in the earth. We don't know him while in the flesh. We are 
He says in the very next verse in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that behold, we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away, all things have become new. Okay, we are not in the flesh anymore. We are born again. Whatever is flesh is flesh, whatever is spirit is spirit. Okay, he goes on to say in verse 10, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. We're talking about spirit, soul, body. If you're born again, your spirit is alive, but your body is dead. But this is going to be very difficult to understand if we don't understand spirit, soul, body. Because this just said my body is dead. I'm talking to you with a dead body. And if you don't understand that, if you don't understand spirit, soul, and body, this can get very confusing real quick. Because you're looking at your body, you're looking at my body, and you're like, it's dead. Okay? This is not some horror movie. You know? And if we don't understand this, uh, spirit, soul, and body, this is going to be very difficult to understand. Okay? This is difficult to understand if you don't understand what being born again is all about. If you don't understand what the new birth is all about. What salvation is all about. That's why I've been spending a lot of time on this. It's difficult to understand if, if we don't understand the kingdom of God and how it works. Your body is dead because of sin, and your spirit is alive because of righteousness. There is a death sentence already declared on your body. And it happened with Adam. And it's been continued, that death sentence has carried on. If Jesus tarries, your body will die. Okay? It's promise. Okay? But when you die, you, the real you, will come out of your body. Because your body is not you. You're living inside it. Okay? And so, 2 Corinthians 5, 8 says, We are confident, yes, we, we well, please, rather, to be absent from the body and to, and to be present with the Lord. The worst thing that could ever happen to any of us is that we die. In the moment that we die, we leave our body and we're present with the Lord. I don't want to do that prematurely. I don't want to do that in a painful way. And we're going to get into it when we talk about healing. We don't have to do that because we're sick. We just die peacefully. Okay? But the real us doesn't die. It's just our body. And we will get a new body that will never die. That will be immortal. It will be incorruptible. It will never decay. But our bodies right now are decaying. They're getting older and older and older. And we'll, we'll talk more about that, some, that segment when we get into healing uh, in the next few weeks. Your body will return to the dust from where it came. Because that's where it came. Your body came from the dust. And why will it return there? Because sin is working in your members. Righteousness is in your spirit. Life is in your spirit. And sin does not affect the born-again spirit. Because sin does not come from your born-again spirit. Sin does not defile your born-again spirit. Your spirit is righteous. It's holy. It's sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. But sin is working in your members. Sin is working in your body. That's why your body is dying. And that is why your body has a death sentence on it. And this is confusing if we don't understand spirit, soul, and body. This is confusing when we naturally see our bodies are not dead, and the Bible says they are. Okay? Our new source of life does not come from the body. Our new source of life does not come from the flesh. 
It comes from our spirit that is born again. My body is not controlling me any longer, or it shouldn't be. And we're going to get into that just a little deeper here in just a few moments. My body has a death sentence on it. My spirit has been made righteous. It's been made holy. My spirit has been united to the life of Christ. And my life can be controlled by the spirit now, not by my body. Not by my flesh. Not by my will and emotions. I can now walk after the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I just quoted Galatians chapter 5 verse 16. Walking in the spirit and not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. The key to not fulfilling the lust of the flesh is walking in the spirit. And we're going to get into that in just a little bit. Folks, this is huge, what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to preach this morning and teach is huge. It will change and revolutionize your life if you understand this. But the church is filled with people who are converts, but they are not disciples. They don't know who they are. They don't know what they have. They don't, they're saved, but they don't even really know what salvation includes. And I don't say that to condemn. I don't say that to be mean. I don't say that to hurt feelings. I say that to help you. Okay? Many do not know how to overcome the lust of the flesh. There's many Christians who, there's lust burning in their flesh, and they don't know how to overcome it. And they're feeling condemned. They're feeling miserable. They're feeling that they're lost. They don't understand why their flesh is out of control, and yet they want to love God. They don't know how to overcome the flesh. They're trying to overcome the flesh by the flesh instead of walking in the Spirit. And it's backwards. See, many do not know how to overcome mistakes they've made. And they feel horrible because they keep making the same stupid mistakes. Okay? Many do not know how to overcome temptations. Because the flesh, lust, is a very powerful thing. And I'm not just talking about immorality. I'm not excluding it. But there's many things in the flesh that are very lustful, including depression, including anger, including gossip, including uh, all kinds of stuff. Your flesh will yeah, lustful thing. And if you don't know how to walk in the spirit, your flesh will rule you. But if the spirit, Romans 8, 11, same context we were already in. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. There's a lot in here that we're hoping will unpack some of this. The spirit of him, the same spirit who raised Christ from the dead, dwells in you to give life to your mortal bodies. Your bodies are dead through his spirit. Without his spirit in you, your bodies are dead. But he's going to quicken. He's going to give life to your mortal bodies who dwells in you. Okay. The body, so well, here's Romans 8, 11, right? But we just read about in Romans 8, 9 that the body is dead because of sin. We also have read in previous weeks from Romans chapter 12 that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. So in one, one verse we got our body is dead and we are supposed to present this dead body as a living sacrifice. And then we get Romans 8, 11 that says, The Spirit who get, will give life to your mortal bodies. 
if we don't understand spirit, soul, and body, we're all over the map here. Our bodies are important to God. Because the Bible says, Paul has to say, the apostles have to say, a lot about our bodies. And how they relate to our salvation. And how they relate to God. And the new life he has called us to. God saved us not just so we can be miserable and still be in sin. God saved us so we can experience a new life that he's called us to. That he's invited us to. That he died to give us. So that we can, that we can experience his plan. We, let me back up. Our bodies are important to God so that we can experience a new life he's called us to. Our bodies are important to God so we can fulfill his, his plan in the earth and fulfill his plan in the church and fulfill his plan in the world. Our bodies have a lot to do with God's plan in the earth, God's plan in the church, and God's plan in the world. Our bodies play an important role in all that. But I must understand my body is dead because of sin, meaning my life does not come from my body anymore. I do not need to be controlled by my body anymore. But I can present it as a living sacrifice that's holy, pleasing, and acceptable to God, which is my reasonable service. I also need to understand that it is the Spirit of God who is quickening this mortal body so He can use me in this planet. He can use me in the world. He can use me in the church. He can use me in the body of Christ. Before I was saved, the devil used the weakness of my flesh, an unrenewed mind that was an enemy to of God. Before I was saved, the devil used this body to fulfill his purpose in the earth, in the world. Destroying my life was destroying others with it. And then he tempted my, for example, my hands to steal or do things wrong, hurt other people. The devil, before I was saved, would use this body, and I'm just going to give a couple of examples this morning. He would use my hands. He would use my mouth. He would use my feet. He would use my emotions. He would use different parts of me, my body, to fulfill his purpose to kill, to steal, and destroy. But now I can use these same hands and yield them to God, the Spirit of God, and now these same hands can be under God's control and be used to lay hands on the sick and see them recover, which we'll talk more deeply when we talk about healing. And there is no life in these hands, in and of themselves. And there, there is no good or bad in these hands, in and of themselves. There is just sin working in my members unless I renew my mind and yield it to God. The devil will still use my hands and my body and my mouth and my feet and other parts, my tongue, the most unruly member of my body and your body, if I don't yield them to the Spirit of God. Okay? The devil can tempt me to use my feet to cause mischief, to do things that I shouldn't be doing. But these same feet can also be yielded to the Holy Spirit and can be beautiful all over the world, preaching the gospel. How beautiful upon the mountains of him are the feet of him who breathes good news. He sh part of the armor of God is that he shines our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The devil wants your body. 
The devil wants to tempt you through the weakness of your flesh. Because your flesh is weak. It's not redeemed yet. It's purchased, but it's not redeemed. To draw you away from the things of God. But God wants your body too. For example, prayer. Prayer is yielding my body to God to get his will done on the earth. God needs your body to pray to get God's will done in the earth. Paul can't pray for you. The saints can't pray for you. They're dead. Their, their, their physical body is dead. Their spirit is alive. They're present with the Lord. But they don't have a body. No, they have no authority. They have no mouth. They have no, no way to pray for you. I don't care what religion tells you that. That is from the pit of hell. That cannot happen. That does not happen. That is not biblical. That is wrong. That is the spirit of Antichrist. Okay? Because Antichrist means instead of or against Christ, and Christ is the one that's interceding for you, not the saints. Okay? I don't say that to be mean. I say that to... I, I, sometimes i got to tip over some sacred paths. But prayer, prayer is yielding my body to get God's will in the earth. God needs you to pray using your body to do so. I can talk about many different aspects. I'm just talking about prayer right now as one example. But God needs you to pray. God needs you to preach the gospel. God needs you to lay hands on the sick. God needs you to be kind and loving towards one another, using your body, saying things that are, are helpful, encouraging one another, using your body to do so. Okay? If God didn't need us to pray, why did he call us to pray? Because God works through our bodies the same way that the devil has through the years. Just like the devil wants to work through our bodies. Because we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. These, God, God gave us those bodies to, to work through. But we can either yield them to the devil, or we can yield them to the Spirit of God. We need to learn to yield our bodies to God. And learn to overcome our bodies' weaknesses and needs. Okay? Let's go back to Romans real quick. Romans 8, 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Many born-again believers are still debtors to the flesh. In other words, their flesh is still their master. When their flesh desires is the direction they will be pulled towards. Some people... Some people don't know how to overcome the flesh. Some people will let their flesh desires, their lust, their desires, their feelings, which is part of your soul, which is your flesh, to control the direction of your life. Or the direction of your day. Or the direction of your emotions. Your feelings, your flesh is powerful. And it desires things. And some of our flesh says, I want it and I want it now. There our, the five senses will manipulate them and draw them to in the wrong direction. Your five senses, what you see, hear, smell, touch, taste, I think I got them all. Anyway, um, they, they, they will, they'll draw you. And many times in the wrong direction. Because to be carnally minded is death. Your flesh is at enmity with God. And something that's at enmity with something... It's not going in the same direction with their enmity with. You're not, you know, anyway. We are not debtors to our flesh anymore. Before we were saved, we were a slave to sin and to Satan. 
But now that we are saved, we are not a debtor to the flesh anymore. My flesh does not need to control me. My flesh should not have any power over me. I can overcome the weakness of my flesh by the power of the new life of Christ in my heart and life. Folks, this is really good news. This means there's hope. This means there's an answer. This means that there's a solution. Okay, Perhaps you're not experiencing the new life of Christ in your life right now or in this area of your life right now. Perhaps you're not living this new life in Christ to the fullest. Maybe you're living in one area, but you're not living in another area or whatever. Or maybe you're not living it at all. Perhaps you're just stumbling and falling and failing miserably time and time again. Not understanding really what is wrong. Why why you keep doing this? Why you keep falling into the same pit? Why you keep falling into the same addiction? Why you keep falling into the same mind trap? Why you keep falling into the same snare of the devil? But it all starts with understanding. I don't have to be a debtor to the flesh anymore. Some people think they don't have a choice. They can't control it. They're seeing doctors. They're seeing psychiatrists. They're seeing, they're seeing counselors. They're, they're helping. Some people are just giving up altogether because they don't know how to control their flesh. Okay? It all starts with understanding I don't have to be a debtor to my eyes anymore. My eyes don't have to control me. I don't have to be a debtor to my emotions. I don't have to be a debtor to my anger. I don't have to be a debtor to uh, my, my taste buds. I don't have to be in debt to my fleshly desires. Okay? I don't have to be in debt to a feeling. I don't have to be in debt to a lust. Like I used to be before I met Jesus. Now, I'm a debtor to Christ. Jesus is my king. He's my master. And my body is a servant to him. Going back to Romans. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the spirit, you will put to death the deeds of the body you will live. There's two parts of this. I want to look at this. I want to look at the first half. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. Now that's pretty broad. No matter how you live, now, now understand this. Let's read it again. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But how many of you know no matter how you live, you will die physically? Is that not true? If Jesus tarries, no matter whether you, you lived in the flesh or lived in the spirit, you will physically die. So he's not talking about physical death. Because that can't be. Because we will all die. A physical death. If Jesus tarries. So he's He's talking about the misery and consequences of sinning and not doing what we're going to be talking about consequences and I get there and find out this morning. Even as Christians, we are can still sin at times. I know some people have a hard time understanding now, and that's why we're explaining some of this. Even as Christians, we can make mistakes. Though there is a difference between sinning and living in sin, and we'll hopefully get to some of that this morning. My point is that we can deal with this. We don't have to live this way. Some people think the way I'm teaching is to give people a license to sin. I'm teaching the exact opposite of that. I'm teaching how to get free from sin and a life of sin. We need to deal with it. We need to deal with our flesh, not just cope with it. Instead of reaping the harvest of living a life of sin. 
That's the consequences, and we'll get into some of that a little bit later, okay? Let's go back to Romans 8, 13 for a, for a second. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. And he's talking about the consequences of living in the flesh. But if you, by the Spirit, you can put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So if we put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit, not on our own flesh, how I many you know temperance, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit, it's not the fruit of the flesh? Galatians 5, 22 and 23 talks about the, the nine fruits of the Spirit. And the last one I mentioned is temperance. Temperance is not a fruit of the flesh. It's not something you do, but we need to put to death the deeds of the flesh, but we do it by the Spirit. And if we do so, we will live. Notice that we are putting what we are putting to death. We're not putting to death the body. We are putting to death the deeds of the body. Let's go back real quick. That's what it says here. You put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Let's go back forward. Okay? So we're, we're putting to death the... Sorry, I'm moving around so much. Notice we are not putting to death the deeds of the body. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Notice what we are putting to death the deeds of the body. Dave, you need to slow down. Okay? We're not putting to death the body. I'm not crucifying my body. I'm presenting my body as a living sacrifice. That's what I'm doing. My body is dead and has the symptoms of death on it because of sin. And I'm putting these symptoms, these deeds of the body, to death. What I'm trying to teach this morning, folks, is that you don't have to be dominated by anger any longer. There's just, a, just one example. You don't have to be dominated by depression. You don't have to be dominated by lust. You don't have to be dominated by any feeling or emotion of yours. That's a deed of your flesh, which is past. Jesus paid for it. We are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You can overcome and put to death anger. You can overcome and put to death jealousy and envy. You can put to death Depression and lust. You can put to death the deed if you understand the power of the Holy Spirit who is on the inside of you. And by faith, begin to walk it out in simplicity. Am I making sense? I know it's different than I teach from a PowerPoint, but I want you to see some of these answers. And, 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 and this teaching this morning, to have about a half hour left, I'm going I'm to deal with three three major points this morning. The first one I'm going to deal with is that yielding to the new life of Christ puts the deed in the body to death. When we yield to the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, we will put the deeds of the body to death. The secret, in other words, I'm giving three secrets to the recipe of how do we do everything I'm trying to teach this morning. When we yield to the Spirit of Christ, of the life of Christ, we can put that, the deeds of the body to death. That's the first point I want to establish this morning. In other words, the way that I put to death the deeds of the body is by yielding to the new life of the Spirit of Christ. I am not trying to put the deeds of the flesh by my flesh. I am not trying to do this in my own willpower, in my own strength. It will not work. And you will get frustrated 
and you will more likely give up. The way that I put to death, the de we need to put to death the deeds of the body. But the way that we do it is by yielding to the new life of the Spirit of Christ. Because our spirit, where Christ is, is where the source of our life and strength and power to overcome sin and anything in life is in our spirit, who, where Jesus lives, the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is on the inside of us. And the Spirit of Christ is the new life of Christ in seed form is on the inside of us, and we need to yield to that. That's how we overcome the flesh. Not through our natural mind, but by being spiritually minded as life and peace. When I set my mind on God, and He becomes my focus, I release the new life of Christ who is already in my spirit. This is, this is some very powerful points I'm making right now. When I set my mind on God and He becomes my focus, I release this new life of Christ who is already in my spirit. When I set my mind on God and He becomes my focus, I put to death the deeds of the body. I'm not, how, how do you overcome the flesh? How do you put the death of deeds of the body? How do you, I'm talking about two things. I'm talking about not only putting the death of deeds of the body, but how do you get this new life of Christ to flow? You focus on him. You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God becomes your Lord. He becomes your master. He becomes the author and the finisher of your faith. You don't conquer your flesh by wrestling with anger issues. I can rephrase this. You don't conquer the flesh by wrestling with your flesh. You conquer your flesh by walking in the Spirit. Again, you don't conquer your flesh by wrestling with anger issues. You focus on walking in the Spirit. And the Spirit of God in Christ Jesus just supernaturally puts the death of these of the flesh. Let me back up again. You don't conquer your flesh by wrestling with anger issues or any issue of the flesh. Lust. Okay, depression. You focus on God and walking in the Spirit. And the Spirit of God that you're focused on in Christ Jesus just supernaturally puts the death or deeds of anger. I've been quoting this over and over again, but Galatians 5.16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's how you overcome the flesh. You walk in the Spirit. Why? Because the flesh is dead. What do you do? Walk with a dead man? You walk with the, you walk the, the, the whole life is in the Spirit of Christ. Temperance, again, I've said this before, is a fruit of the Spirit. It's not a fruit of the flesh. And some of us live by anger or lust or any other uh, symptom. Some of us are controlled by anger. I'm going to make a silly little statement, but a fish in water doesn't even know it's wet. 
How do I know that? I heard someone say it. When you are so saturated, you take on the form of it unknowingly. Whatever that is. If you're saturated in the world, you will take on this form. If you're saturated in God, you will take on His form. Whatever is saturating you, you will take on its form. Many of us are so conformed to this world, we don't even know the things that we are doing. We don't even know what is right and what is wrong. We don't even know what the problem is. We don't even see the problem half the time. Because some of us are so saturated and conformed to this world, many of us don't realize we are hurting ourselves and others by the, just the simple way that we're thinking and where we are associated with. We have to learn to walk after the Spirit of God so that we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So we talked about so far yielding to the new life of the Spirit of the life of Christ puts the deed of the body to death. The second thing I want to make mention this morning is setting our minds, and just like the first one, but setting our minds on the goodness of God and God's goodness puts the deed of the body to death. So the first one was yielding to, just simply yielding to the new life of the Spirit of Christ puts the deed of the body to death. The second one is almost just like it, but it's setting our minds on the goodness of Rest in His goodness. Set your mind on His goodness. Set your mind on His nature. Who He is. Emmanuel. God with us. You know, in the, in the book of Exodus, we have this point where Moses says, Lord, sh unless, you, unless you show us your presence, I'm paraphrasing, don't take us from here. And God hid Moses in the cliff, the cliff of the rock, and he said that his, his presence was going to pass by. And I believe uh, what I'm quoting from is Exodus 34, and, and, and or I'm paraphrasing anyway. And the goodness of God, God's presence passed by Moses. And it describes, Moses, when he wrote the book of Exodus, he describes it as God just declaring his goodness. When, you, when we see God face to face one day in heaven, folks, we're going to see His goodness. And we need to set our minds on His goodness, His presence. I was listening to some, some Captain Coleman um, uh, uh, teachings the last couple weeks. I've never really listened to her too much, I, 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 you know. But one thing she just kept saying over and over and over again was just God's presence. She didn't have any really secret recipe to how she does what she does. The one thing that she focuses on and she just says over and over, just focus on the presence of the Spirit of God. And it was that focus, it was that mindset how Catherine Coleman did her ministry with her many people. It was just simply the presence. She wasn't focused on a gift. She wasn't focused on that. She was just focused on one thing only, and that was the presence of God, the Spirit of and she knew, and she will say adamantly, and she will rebuke any other teaching that says that the Holy Spirit will, that says otherwise, but that the Holy Spirit will only do one thing, and that will magnify Jesus. 
If anyone comes to say they have a gift or this, that, and they don't magnify Jesus, she will not listen to them. She'll rebuke it. And she's a very sweet lady. But there's one thing she can't stand. And that is, that is it. Because the Holy Spirit, when His presence is there, when you're focused on Him, He will do one thing, and that is rebuild Jesus. That is why He's here. And any other teaching is wrong. Isaiah 26 3 says, You will keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts in you. If that's true, why don't we have perfect peace in life? I know I've been wrestling with something over the last few weeks that we're going through right now. Because our minds is on something else besides the Lord. If we don't have perfect peace, there is only one answer why. Because our mind is on something else besides God. It's as simple and as complicated as that. I did not say being religiously minded would bring you peace. I did not say thinking about God in a negative way would bring peace. Or in an unbiblical way would bring peace. I did not say thinking about the letter of the Bible and the letter of the law would bring peace. I said thinking about things that gratify the Holy Spirit will bring peace. Thinking on the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, the love of God, the nature of God, the person of God. Thinking on His greatness. I know life is tough. We're going through some tough challenges right now. But we must set our minds on the goodness of God. We must set our minds on the promises of God. On the faithfulness of God. His mercies. <coughs> Excuse me. That are new every morning. But you may say, I'm too depressed to be thinking about God. I've said those same, same things in so many different ways. Okay? But no, you're depressed because you are not thinking about God. Folks, we have it so backwards so many times. And God wants to reverse our thinking. The reason we're in some of the things that we're in, or we're not getting out of some of the things that we're in, is because we're not thinking right. Repentance. The definition for repent means to change your mind. We want to change the behavior, but you can't change your behavior until you change your mind. Repentance, by definition, means to change your mind. I believe it's changing your life around and going in a different direction, but you can't go in a different direction if you don't change your mind. If I'm driving on the freeway, the highway, the road, if, and I need to go that way and not that way, I have to first think that I'm going to turn the car around. The car is not going to turn itself around. My brain has to tell my hands to turn the car. Am I making sense? The goal is to go that way, not that way, but i got to think it first. Okay? Yet people refuse to set their minds on the goodness of God in their life. People refuse to set their minds on the Word of God. It is amazing how we, can, we can't stop meditating on the cares of this world. It's amazing how we can't stop thinking about the things that we're worried about and, and concerned about 
We can't stop thinking about how this person has done us wrong. We can't stop thinking about how uh, our life is falling apart. We, we're meditating 24-7 on whatever is wrong, but we refuse to meditate on God's goodness. And we can't say we, can't, we don't know how to meditate. We're doing it all the time, naturally. It's amazing how we can't stop thinking, meditating on the, the worries and fears that we're going through and refuse to meditate on His faithfulness. It's amazing how we can't stop thinking about mentioning how someone how someone did us wrong 20 years ago, or five years ago, or five minutes ago. But it's amazing how we can't stop how we can't stop meditating on the corruption that's in this, our culture and our world. And why don't we just meditate on God all day long? And I'm talking to me just as much as I'm talking to you. Why don't we just think about God? Amen or me. I'm not being talking about being religious. I'm talking about loving on God. I'm talking about enjoying God. I'm talking about thinking about God in every situation in your life. No matter how small or how big, think on God. And it will put to death the deeds of your flesh. Depression, discouragement, worry. Fear. As you just think on God, for to be carnally minded is death. This worry, this fear, this, this anxiety, that's death. That is not life and peace. We get to choose. And we have to choose every day. Are you going to be carnally minded? Or are you going to be spiritual minded? Carnal. Sarks, if I'm pronouncing it right. It, by definition, in the, in the Greek, means flesh, meat, body, human nature. Minded means head, thought, purpose, aspirations. I could go deeper with this and spend time on this, but my point, I just want to make sense. Remember, because I, I just said it's, uh, it's meat and it's head. Okay? You can't be a meathead and enjoy the things of God. I'm being facetious, but I'm, I'm just using the definitions and combining them. You can't be carnally minded. You can't be carnally meat and a minded head. You can't be a me head and enjoy the things of God. People want to get saved and enjoy all the power of God. Enjoy all the blessings of God. Enjoy all the promises of God. And I can go on. And keep thinking like they were thinking before they even got saved. You can't think the way that you were thinking before you got saved and experience all the benefits of salvation. And keep thinking like the world thinks. And have a life that is different than the world. If you keep thinking like the world, then you will have a life just like the world. As a man thinketh, so is he. Proverbs 18.21, I believe, is a reference. And it doesn't work this way, folks. When you are carnal-minded in your soul, you short-circuit the power of God in your spirit. The power of the Christian life does not come from your mind, your soul. It comes, it flows through your mind, your soul. You and I have all this power on the inside of our spirit. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is in our spirit. We have all the power we need. 
There is not one person who's born again that's listening to my voice that does not have all the power they need to change their circumstance and their life around. You have the fullness of God bodily. You have the fullness of God on the inside of you. I can give you reference after reference after reference talking about that. If I sit here and think of the flesh and seek those things that gratify the flesh, it is like shutting off a valve to a pipe that is connected to my spirit. And if I sit here and think on the flesh and seek how to gratify the flesh, I shut off a valve to my spirit. The power is still there. It's sealed. And the blessings are still there. The promises are still there. The life of God is still there. But I have to turn on the valve for the power of blessings to flow out of my spirit, through my mind and soul, into my life. The spirit of life, the life of Christ flows through me by simply setting my mind on the things of God. Colossians 3 says, If you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. I can give you scripture after scripture. I'm giving you just a few this morning. Now we need to set our minds on things above. That is so simple. Yet most of us miss it. I said it was simple, but I didn't say it was easy. That sounds like an oxymoron to some people, but I just said it was simple. It is easy to stay focused. We stay focused on the things we worry about. But life is tough. And all kinds of stuff are competing for our minds. All kinds of things are competing for our attention. All kinds of ideas are competing for our hearts and philosophies. And the world today, more than ever, is pulling for us to see and reason just like them. And it all leads to death. We have to stay focused. So, yielding to the life of the new spirit of life of Christ puts the deeds of the body to death. And setting our minds on the God's goodness puts the deeds of the body to death. The third point I want to make this morning is life cannot come from the body because that has been sentenced to death. Life can't come from your body, your flesh, your soul, because it's been sentenced to death. I want to go back to Romans chapter 8, verse 5, where we're going to read this from the Amplified Version. It says, For those who are, who are according to the flesh and are controlled by its unholy desires set their minds on and pursue those things which gratify the flesh. I'm going to read the rest of it in just a minute. Okay? Do you know anyone who has loved Jesus and has uncontrolled desires? You know, a lot of times we think of uh, lust and immorality. Do you know anyone who's saved but they have anger issues, depression issues? They're discouraged and they just can't shake it. Bitter. I mean, I can, I can, go, I can go on a lot of different levels. They've been victimized brutally, horrifically. Brutal, uh, uh, violated. But they can't shake that depression. They can't shake that turmoil that they're going through. There's, they're just 
It might not be a desire, so to speak, but it's still a, it's a controlling them. They're broken. Many who love Jesus have had uncontrolled desires. I know this sounds, I guess, what some of us believe in have been taught. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. If you think that because you're a born believer that you can't fall, you're a fool. You're deceived. I don't say that to be mean. I don't say that to be, but I, say, I, I am being blunt. None of us are in our own selves are, um, I don't know what I'm looking for, but we all can fall. Even the best of us. And he says, again, but those who are, who are according to the flesh and are controlled by the flesh and its desires set their mind and pursue those things which gratify the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit and are controlled by desires of the Spirit, they set their mind on, on and seek those things which gratify the Holy Spirit. Paul said, if whatever you are setting your minds on, whether it be the flesh or the Spirit, is the one who's controlling you. Those, let's go back real quick. Those who are living according to the flesh are living according to the flesh because they have set their minds to gratify the flesh. But those who are walking according to the Spirit, they have set their minds on the things that gratify the Holy Spirit. Whatever you're setting your minds on is the one that's controlling you, whether that be your flesh or the Spirit of God. Are you following me? The key is what are you setting your mind on? Because some of us want to... Some of us want to be controlled by desires of the Holy Spirit, but we're not thinking on the Holy Spirit. We're not thinking on God. We're not in the Word. Some of us don't even show up for church. Okay? I don't want to be religious. I'm not talking about that junk, but I'm talking about being controlled by desires of the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about loving people. I'm talking about being merciful to others. I'm talking about being kind and patient to others. I'm talking about all the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and goodness. I'm talking about preaching the gospel. I'm talking about laying hands on the sick. I'm talking about seeking God. I'm talking about getting direction from God. I'm talking about all kinds of things. But I'm also talking about to love people, to be merciful to them. I can't imagine anyone not wanting to be controlled by God and being controlled by the Holy Spirit and, and, and letting God rule their lives. In verse 6, again, amplified. Now the mind of the flesh, which is sense and reason without the Holy Spirit, is sense and reason without the Holy Spirit. That's, that's the mind of the flesh. Okay? That's terrible right there. Is death. And death that comprises all the miseries arising from the sin, both here and hereafter. But the mind of the Holy Spirit is life and, life and soul peace, both now and forever. The mind of the flesh is your five physical senses. Your sight, your sound, smell, taste, and touch. Okay? But the mind of the flesh is also your human thinking, your reasoning, your logic. Independent of God thinking. If you are more controlled by what you see versus what God says, you're carnal. That's one of the main points I'm trying to make in this segment of it. If we are controlled by what we see, what we hear, 
what we smell, what we taste. Our five senses, more than what God said, we are carnal. I'm not saying we're wicked. I'm just saying we're natural. We're thinking naturally. But if you're, think, if, if you're defined by your feelings, you're carnal. Do you realize people's feelings are idols, false gods in our culture? Many people are bowing to their feelings. I've heard many people say, even on Facebook, that if they feel something, they are it. Let's worship. Okay? It's all around us. It's all around our world. It's, it's getting stronger and stronger in our world today. If it feels good, do it. Have you not heard that one? It's been a while, maybe. If I feel a certain way, then I must be it. A lot of this junk that's going on in our world and about gender and different things, it's this whole mindset. And he says, the mind of the flesh is death, but the mind of the spirit is life. And in verse 10, back in the New King James, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. One of the main points I'm trying to get across this morning, folks, is that we don't have to be dominated by what we see, or what we hear, or what we smell, or what we touch and feel. Do you know that how many people miss church because they were just tired? I was tired. I've been tired. I don't know to who knows when. I'm not going to allow my body to tell me I'm too tired to do what God's called me to do. I'm going to control my body, not my body controlling me. I'm going to tell my body, we are going to church. Now, feelings are real. Feelings are important. We are not robots. Feelings are good. But feelings can't control you. One of the main points I'm trying to get across this morning, who is in control of you? Who's Lord? Who are your bodies yielded to? And if you can't overcome this feeling, for example, being too tired to go to church, and that this feeling is real, and being too tired to go to church is a real feeling. I've been too tired to do a lot of things. Okay? Even good things. I've been too tired to eat at times. I've been too tired to sleep. I know that sounds backwards, but there's some things that, but if you can't overcome feelings that are real, what makes you think you're going to be able to overcome other feelings that are real? Such as temptation, lust, doing things that you thought you would never do. Who's in control of who? Most of us, if we are honest, our bodies are pulling us around us, controlling us. For most of us, our body is the master. And we are the servant. That's the way we were before we got saved. Before you ever got saved, that was the case. Your body was controlling you. Your emotions, your feelings, your, your, your soul. Now that we are saved, God is trying to tell us, you don't have to live that way anymore. A lot of what I'm teaching this morning is really going to segue to what we're going to talk about healing in the next few weeks. You can control the body. You can put to death the deeds of the flesh by walking in the Spirit. I'm not saying you won't be tempted. I'm not saying you won't feel something. 
put it to death. That's the deeds of the flesh. I'm not saying you won't ever feel envious or angry or sad. I'm saying put to death the deeds of the flesh by walking in the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 6, 12, and hopefully I'll be wrapping this up pretty soon. I'm just about out of time. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are, are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under, spell that wrong, the power of any. This is huge, folks. So what I'm teaching is really just basic Christianity right now. But Paul just said, God loves me no matter what I do. I'm not saying he approves what I do, but he loves me. Paul just said, God will never leave me nor forsake me. Because all things are lawful. And that God is not holding anything over me. God will love and accept me no matter what. But it doesn't mean everything is helpful. Sin will damage your life and will damage others. Sin is death. And God wants me to put to death the deeds of the body. And walk in the spirit. Foods for the stomach and stomach for the food. But God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality. But for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And both God both raise up the Lord. And will also raise up Christ's power. Do you realize how committed God is to your body? That's what one the points I'm trying to get to. As we're wrapping this up here in just a few minutes. God has made us a promise. Even though it's appointed unto man wants to die physically, death, and then the judgment, while my body will return to the dust from which it came in my inner man to Jesus because it came from God, God is committed to my body. God loves my body so much that he has done something in salvation that he has promised. And God loves my body so much that he would bring me back with him at his appearing in kingdom. God said that he would raise my body from the dead at his appearing and when Jesus comes. He will raise a body that was sown in weakness and will be raised in power. He will raise a body that was sown in corruptible and will be raised incorruptible. He will raise a body that was sown in mortality and will be raised immortal. God is so committed to my body that he has purchased by his own blood. And he goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 6, 15, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Most Christians do not realize your bodies are members of Christ. Okay, I know some of it's been a while since we've heard stuff like this. But or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. All immorality. Is becoming one flesh, which is your soul. We might not see it that way, but God sees it that way. And God created us as sexual beings to only become enjoy sex within our special boundaries, which is called marriage. And he says the marriage bed is holy. Sex is so powerful. And I don't mean to get into some of this, but some of us need to hear this. And the world says it's only just sex. Sex is becoming one flesh in your body and your soul. 
And every time you rip that union apart, you carry all of that solidical oneness into a new relationship. And that's why we are so damaged deeply, most of us. A lot of people who are listening this morning, they are damaged deeply because they have messed it all up, how God designed it. And God doesn't want you to be damaged. God wants you to be whole. Spirit, soul, and body. And that's fact, God wants you to have sex within the confines of marriage. Okay? Now, I know I'm not speaking to everybody this morning, but I know I'm speaking to some people. The world says, <coughs> another life, we don't want you, the world thinks that we as Christians don't want you to have sex. God forbid. We just want you to have it within marriage. God created sex. Adam and Eve had sex before sin ever came in the world. Sex is not sin. Sex did not contribute to sin. Sin damned sex. Going back to Romans 6. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a heart is one body with her? But the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Leave sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. In other words, don't celebrate it. Don't legislate it. Leave it. And I'm not, I know I'm not putting enough emotion with this. I don't necessarily usually talk, like talking about stuff like this, but it needs to be talked about. Leave sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. But let me, you know, all sin has consequences. All sin is seed sown. If I sin as a pastor, it's going to have consequences in this church. If I, some sin will have consequences in my finances. Some civil sins will co have give consequences of jail time or, or fines or penalties. Sin always has consequences. But sexual sin has consequences against our bodies. Why don't I talk about this? Because we're talking about the body. And Paul talks about it. The Bible talks about it. And we are damaging an entire generation eternally because we have not taught this in the church. We have not taught this to our kids. We not, many of us as adults have not learned this ourselves. In a very profound way, we are damaging a whole generation. But it goes on to say, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? It's in, it's in this context that Paul just talked about all the immoral, immoral stuff. I can't exclude it. It's in the context. Our body is not for ourselves to be lustful and out of control. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You don't belong to yourself. For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Your body and your spirit is not yours, it's God's. They belong to God. Okay? Yet millions of lives have been killed in the name of a lie that says a woman has a right to her own body. All we need to do is know that the word of God that reveals all of this corruption is based on lies. And I'm talking about abortion right now. Your body is not your own. Now, I will defend women to the ultimate. 
But that body within her body is not her body. And I'm going to defend that body too. Your body belongs to God. And as married couples, your body belongs to your spouse as well. First Corinthians 7. I'm not going to go there this morning. Another topic. Another time. God is not condemning a woman for having an abortion. I'm not condemning a woman for having an abortion. God loves you. God has forgiven you already to the cross. God is not holding that over you. I'm not holding that over you. The issue is true. Our bodies don't belong. Our bodies belong to God. That's my point I'm making. And many Christians, male and female, believe their bodies belong to them and just yield it to anything. When it feels good, do it. The scriptures do not teach that. The body was not created for sexual immorality. The bodies were created for the Lord. That's where I, that's my whole point I'm trying to get across right here. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And all of our appetites, not just sex, but all of our appetites, including food, are to be brought under God's control and experience within boundaries. Sex has to be kept within the boundaries of marriage or it becomes destructive. Food has to be kept under the control of your body or it becomes destructive. It is good that you're hungry. And if you didn't get hungry, you wouldn't eat. And, and thank God you get hungry, otherwise you would die. Okay? But while God gave you a natural desire for sex, Sex outside the boundaries that which is good, holy, and pure. He said the marriage bed is holy. Becomes destructive. God gave you a natural desire for food. But if you don't control it and it starts controlling you, it becomes destructive and it reduces your quality of life and, create, and creating unnecessary diseases and whatnot. All, we all have appetites that are given to us by God that are natural. But they, these appetites cannot control us. That's not where I'm getting with this. I think, you know, lust, sexual lust, and food are some of the highest forms of lust that we've experienced. That's why I dealt with this. But you're, you're, you can lust for depression. Poor me, poor me, poor me. And sing that song all day long. I know I have at times. We have to control them. Everyone needs affirmation. But if you look to man and not God, man will manipulate you for their advantage. Man will control you. Man will leverage. Man will abuse you for their advantage. Telling you that you're okay. Telling you they like you. But when God affirms you, it's healthy. Everyone needs another true identity. And our true identity is in Christ. I'm wrapping this up. I'm almost done. Emotions are real, folks. But our emotions are unreliable. People, the devil, can manipulate your emotions for over anything. And they have. Going back to 1 Corinthians 9.22, it says, To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Verse 23, Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. Paul is simply saying, I love people where they are. You know, some of the things I've shared this morning, that's where you are, I love you too. Paul is saying, so, simply saying, so that God can take us, you, them, where he wants us to be. He goes on to say, do you not know that those who run in a race 
all around but one who receives the prize. Run in such a way that they may obtain it. Verse 25. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate. That's self-control. In all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we with an unperishable crown. Verse 26. Therefore I run thus not with uncertainty. Thus I fight not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it under subjection. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Paul is simply saying, as I'm wrapping this up, I control my body or it will pull me and disqualify me from the race. Any success among athletes you have to discipline your body. If you've seen any good athlete in any sport, any Olympian, any sport, they have had to discipline their bodies to be successful. Are you following me? Paul's making a very natural analogy to make a very powerful, profound point here as we close. You have to run this race called life. And when you get tired, you can't quit and give in to your flesh. Folks, Christian brothers, sisters, we're all in a race. It's tough. And these last days, it's going to get tougher. But we can't get quit because we're tired. Our flesh is tired. It just wants to give in. When you lift weights, and I don't, I need to, are exhausted, that is when the maximum results come in. A fighter, I'm not into boxing, but a fighter has to watch his weight. He can eat one thing and become disqualified from the competition. Paul is saying, we have to discipline ourselves. We're disciples. Disciples and discipline are very synonymous. And fasting, for example, is you telling your body to shut up. Your body says, I'm hungry. But you're saying, too bad, we're going, to, we're going, we're going without food. Because fasting is you bringing your body under subjection. There's many more parts of fasting, but this, I'm just taking it from a natural point right now, okay? Don't get, don't get off, uh, upset with me. If I can't say no to food one day, why do I deceive myself thinking I'll say no to lust or anything else? When I'm tempted in an area that could destroy my life. Fasting is your way of controlling your body. There's many more, there's deeper aspects of fasting that I'm not getting into right now. I'm not really talking about fasting. I'm talking about controlling the body. Okay. No one wakes up as a disciple. These are disciplines. This is why we have church. This is why we assemble together regularly. This is why we love each other and help each other. And together, we walk together as a family. There's many other aspects. But part of just going to church and being a church is a part of the discipline of being a disciple. Because we need each other. There's times, when, in those last two weeks, Sherry and I were just really discouraged about something. And we needed the church. And we reach out to different people. We're pastors and we know better. We need to listen to our own teachings. But sometimes we need a hug too. Sometimes we need help too. Sometimes we're not handling it right. We know it. And we're trying to... We're trying to put the death of deeds of the flesh that wants to say, poor me, poor me, poor me. And ah! 
But sometimes we just need the body of Christ to admonish one another, to encourage one another, to lift one another up. Okay? Let us walk through and work out walking after the Spirit. That's what I'm trying to get at. So that we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. There's so much more we can talk about the benefits of salvation. And this last several weeks I've been talking about wholeness. Okay, I'm going to conclude the wholeness segment for our teaching uh, as of right now. And starting next week I'm going to talk about healing as well as the benefits of salvation. And there's so many uh, parts of us that need to be healed. Well, yeah, we'll be talking a lot about healing as far as the body is concerned. But there's some things in our soul that need to be healed too. That go deeper than just uh, the physical. That is part of our flesh too. We're talking about such a great salvation that we have, folks. I know this has become a longer series than I thought it was going to be, but there's a lot to talk about. And so we are just, uh, there's a lot more to talk about talking about over the next several weeks. Well, thank you. You guys have been good. I went over a little bit, but I also started a little bit late, too. So, anyway, God bless you guys. Uh, we'll see you next week.